You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, hey, good morning, North Valley. Great to be with you guys this morning. My name is Ryan Rice. I serve as a lead pastor here at North Valley Community Church, and we are going to be having a special morning this morning. I want to talk to you about the orphan crisis, not only here in Arizona locally, but also globally. And then we're going to be looking, we're continuing on in our series in the book of James. So we're looking at James chapter 1, verse 27 this morning, about what it looks like to really take your level, uh, take your faith to the next level. But before we get started this morning, I wanted to give you guys just a little bit of announcements on our land. Um, You're going to see this video behind me uh, with the land you saw probably as you walked in this morning. That there is, uh, we purchased the property in September uh, uh, 11th. And so we set two goals last year to acquire a nine-acre campus, and the first was a victory goal, and uh, that's to raise over half a million dollars in cash uh, to be able to uh, supplement that with some financing to be able to acquire this church campus. Used to be a bar and a premier wedding venue in the North Valley, and by God's grace, you guys were incredibly generous. You gave uh, one-time gifts, and you also made a pledge over the course of three years And we set two goals. One was the victory goal to purchase the property and to service the note for for, uh, the first few years. And if we hit the victory goal, then we estimated that we would be on site within 12 to 36 months. As you can see, this property uh, really needs a lot of renovations. The buildings and the structures are sound, but there was a lot of permitting violations and uh, a lot of challenges, and it really got left to just kind of be overgrown and, and run down. And by God's grace, you guys uh, exceeded the victory goal, and we were able to start on some of those renovations. So we're ahead of schedule in many ways. We estimate that we'll be on site fully uh, within the 2017 time frame. Um, No later than the latter part of 2017 do we uh, envision that we'll be fully 100% on site. Now, a lot of that is obviously in God's hands. It depends on how the church grows. It depends on how uh, giving goes. And many of you have uh, given and are participating with that campaign. And after Easter, we'll circle back around because our church is continuing to grow. And we'll talk to uh, those of you that are new to the church and give you vision tours of the property. Uh, but this, this Sunday, I want to invite you out to a church picnic, and you're going to see that we've made quite a bit of improvement uh, to the property. So it's an exciting time at North Valley. I want to encourage you to be a part of the picnics over the next few weeks. Uh, we have one this, today, and then we have one in the following two weeks. So um, that's, about that. that's about it on that. I'm excited that we're going to be able to do this together. And so I want to encourage you to come out and see what, uh, just have a time of fellowship and connect with others and just see how the progress is going on the property. I do want to remind you that the buildings are secured and locked. Uh, We've been working with the city and they've just asked that as far as a public assembly, we wait until we finish the process of uh, some of the uh, permits and construction that we've got going on. There is a lot of shade. There is restrooms out there. um, So we should have a wonderful, uh, fun, family-friendly time. Uh, here this afternoon. 
And if you want to, I'd encourage you to immediately after church, go grab something to eat and bring it over. Or if you packed uh, some uh, hot dogs or meat or whatever, you can just throw it on the grill. We have uh, all the cutlery and the utensils and all that stuff for a good time for us to be together. So that's, that's it about on that. Uh, one other thing real quick before we get started this morning. How about Ian and the worship team? Aren't they doing an incredible job? I want to thank all you guys that are participating in that team. It really, you know, the music and the message uh, is very, very important at North Valley. And we work really hard every week to deliver um, the best so that we can worship Christ. Amen. Uh, I want to encourage you to come out, not this, or yeah, this coming Friday, uh, Pastor Ian's going to be opening up and playing a concert uh, with the number one hit Christian performing artist. He's going to open up for Jordan Felice. Uh, 7 o'clock, 7 p.m. this Friday at Calvary Community Church. I want to encourage you guys to make it out there and support Ian, and let's just have a fun concert together. Amen? Uh, that will be fun. You can watch our Facebook page about all the details on that, and uh, we'll be sure to get going on that. I want to show you a video this morning and uh, about this orphan crisis, and um, lo- really just to see where we're going to be going this morning. So check this out. On the stage with me today is my beautiful wife, Leslie, and uh, Corey and Deanne, another family in our church. And we wanted to take just a minute this morning to share with you about really our foster to adopt experience here in Arizona. Uh, Did you know that Arizona ranks as one of the worst cities in America uh, that's facing what's called a foster care crisis? Um, right now, these are kids These are that have been orphaned. They've been left alone. Um, they literally don't have anywhere to go. Uh, I think partially because Phoenix is a fast-growing city, and a lot of people moved here from somewhere else and don't have family roots, and when they fall upon hard times, they've got nobody. There's 19,000 kids in the foster care system. When Leslie and I first moved out here five years ago, there was about 12,000. Um, Phoenix is growing faster and faster. And this issue is huge. Literally, we've got kids in CPS offices. We've got kids that are on the streets. Uh, We've got kids that are in foster homes and group homes all around the valley. And this morning, what I wanted to do is I want to tell you about two stories about um, my family, uh, Leslie and I, and then I want to invite Corey and Deanne to share a little bit about 
what um, their experience has been in fostering to adopt. Some of you guys came here this morning specifically to hear about this. And my encouragement is um, to really take a next step. And as we're going to be teaching this morning in the book of James, we're going to exhort and encourage every single one of you to get involved to helping the most socially powerless people in our community and around the world. That's the orphans and that's widows. And so um, Pastor Jonathan's going to have these cards being passed out as we do this interview. And then I'm going to walk you through some next steps uh, for us. So Pastor Jonathan, do you have these cards you got them? Okay, great. Um, so let me just start with uh, Leslie and um, Deanne. Thanks for being here. And Corey, thanks for being up here. Uh, what What is the circumstances leading up to your decision to foster and to adopt? And I'll just um, start with you, Leslie, and then Corey or Deanne, either one of you, if you would like to answer that question. Sure. Morning. Morning. So... Um, we moved out to Phoenix in 2010, and we knew we wanted to grow our family, but we wanted to do that through fostering and adopting. We didn't have any more biological children um, because we knew there was such a great need. And so we moved out here in 2010, and our goal was let's get a year of church planting under our belt, let's buy a house, settle down, get our kids, Sam and Riley at the time, we're at five, get them in a year of kindergarten, and then start moving forward with fostering and adopting. Cool. Oh, that was really short. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, a hard question size, to answer you know. in uh, Hey, uh, yeah, so just kind of some of the circumstances maybe for you guys, and, and don't feel rushed on this, yeah. Okay, um, yeah, because it is a long story, but um, for us it was a little bit different. We um, have been married for 10 years, and uh, since the beginning, we talked about adopting um, as a way to grow our family. Um, and both of us have kind of struggled with health issues, so infertility was something that we struggled with. And um, we uh, were kind of playing around with adopting a few years ago, but we weren't sure. And um, I kind of just still had that desire to be pregnant. And so we kind of started seeking out um, infertility treatments and um, quickly realized that the, the only choice for us was in vitro. And... Um, the Lord just really convicted me personally. I was reading a book by Dr. Russell Moore called Adopted for Life. And um, one, just God just convicted me by saying, you know, do you want to pass on your genes or do you par- want to parent a child? And um, for us, that was just, um, we knew God had put adoption on our hearts. And so to follow in obedience with that, we sought out um, adoption. So we kind of put medical stuff aside and started um, looking for different ways possibly that God wanted us to um, pursue for adoption because there's a lot of different avenues. Um, we moved to Arizona. We'd heard about the foster care crisis, and so we looked into that, and um, the Lord did um, give us a little baby boy to take care of for about six months. Um, we thought and hoped that we were going to be able to adopt him, but he ended up going back with his birth mom, um, and that was probably the hardest, one of the hardest things we'd ever had to do in our, in our marriage. Um, but uh, the Lord is faithful, and uh, he um, brought us a different avenue, and, and we ended up um, adopting our son, Aiden. Um, he, we actually got him from the hospital. His birth mom chose us, um, saw a profile of ours, and chose us. And um, basically, on October 31st, we got a call about it, and then five days later, he was born. <laughs> so it was really short um, and uh, crazy, but um, yeah, it, we wouldn't want it any other way, and um, uh, having an open adoption uh, with um, his birth family is something that we're really passionate about, which is why we chose domestic adoption. And um, 
yeah, we have a real compassion for his birth mom. And uh, we really just, um, it's, it's tricky, but we just love that experience um, of inviting her into our lives and always having an open door for that. So That's great. Would you want to share us how, a little bit more about how it's going right now for you guys in, in this process? And maybe if we have a picture that we could show. Yeah, it's going, it's going great. Um, Aiden is 15 months old, and um, I don't know if we have a picture, but it, so his name's Aiden, we call him Tornaden, because he is all over the place. Did you say um, Tornaden? Tornaden. That's awesome. Uh, we lived in Nashville for a little while, so we kind of <laughs> left the tornadoes behind, but yeah, so um, he's but you, great. you adopted a tornado. We did. Yeah. We did. And yeah, so he's lovely, he's sweet, um, you know, just uh, so thankful, you know, for what God has, has done. Um, and, and I think too, um, you know, the foster care crisis, I, I think at some point, you know, we, we do know for sure that we would want to get involved again in some way, you know, whether it's through respite or whether it's through respites where you, you kind of care for, you know, care for a child and give the, the family a little bit of a break. And so um, we may move back into that or may foster again. So we're just, we're just trusting God and, and praying for that right now. So, Amen. Leslie, you want to share how... How you, from your perspective, how it's going? Yeah, how it's going. Um, it gets better every year. It definitely is not an easy ministry, but honestly, it's the most fulfilling ministry we've ever done together. And the greatest part is that we've done it as a family. Sam and Riley love Maya so much. They're 11. They're in fifth grade. Maya is four years old. She's in preschool right now, and Sam and Riley go to Norterra Canyon Elementary. It's a local public school. They cannot wait until she is in kindergarten. They have their plan already set. They're going to ride the bus with her to school every day. They're going to walk her to her class. And then at 3 o'clock when the bell rings, they're going to go pick her up at class and walk her back to the bus, and they're all going to ride home together. They love being her big brother and big sister, and it's just it's been a great ministry to do together as a family. It has. Um, what would you say, what would you share to others about this opportunity for fostering and adopting, even, even locally? Um, I would share that foster and, and care... And maybe share, too, what's hard about it. So we, okay. we, we give the big picture here. Okay. Foster care and adoption is a great way to make an impact and change one person's life. So I love that verse in that video, 1 John 4, 19. That was a motivating factor for me. Um, We love because he first loved us. I wanted to foster and adopt, and I felt the Lord calling us to it. But I thought, how? Am I, can I do this? Lord, can I really do this? Can I handle this? And and that verse kept coming to me, Yes, I can love a child. I have love to give. I'm a mom. It's one of my primary roles and responsibilities. I know how to take care of kids. I can love a child and take care of a child. And, um, you know, I can't teach and preach. I can't save 19,000 kids, but I can make a difference, and I can change one person's life. And, um, again, it's just such a great, fulfilling ministry. And um, it's hard. Yes, it's hard. There's always the unknown of if you're going to be able to keep the child. We were fortunate that the Lord's plan for us was the first child we fostered, we adopted. And, um, you know, kids that have been through trauma situations, they 
They have behavioral issues, so that's been hard. But there are so many resources the, through our agency, Christian Family Care, through the state. We've, um, we're in behavioral therapy, and it's awesome. Um, another thing that's hard is uh, we didn't just get Maya. We, she has siblings, so there's always more than just that one child. There's a lot of relationships involved, but that's been a great ministry also. And then um, the, actually the hardest thing for us, and this has been so surprising for me, the hardest thing was my ability to bond and connect with her emotionally. It was actually easier for Ryan um, they're really close. She's a daddy's girl. Um, for me, it was harder. She was a year old when she came into her house, into our house. So I didn't carry her in my womb, um, and I didn't hold her as a baby. So it was harder for me to bond with her. But uh, it's funny. Last night we had a funny conversation at the dinner table. The kids are always, we're always trying to convince them that we love them all equally. And, you know, they just, kids struggle with jealousy, and you love her more, you love him more, and it's all of them. It's not just Maya, but Maya said it last night. She goes, oh, you love Riley more than me. And, and Ryan said, Maya, no, actually, let me just explain it to you. God's number one, I love God the most. Mom's number two, I love her Next, love her the most. And then number three are the kids. Love you guys all the same. And Maya was like, are you kidding me? You love mom more than me? (laughs) And so I said, well, Maya, who do you love more? And she said, dad. (laughs) And then she said, dad's number one. Sam's number two. (laughs) Riley's number three. And I made number four. But then Sam, and Sam went on to say, he loves dad number one too, but then Riley, I was number one in Riley's list. So apparently yeah. we can't have favorites, but they can. Why don't you share? Thank you so much, Leslie, for sharing that. Um, awesome. I guess, share the question is, is what would you share with others here at North Valley, maybe considering this, um, and then what's hard about it to you guys? Yeah, um, I think sometimes it does feel overwhelming knowing where to start or which path to choose or how you can help um, because it's just such, especially with foster care, it's just such an overwhelming crisis, it seems. Um, But I feel like everyone can do something. Just like the body of Christ, we as a church, um, there's a lot of members and each member does a different part and um, has different role. And I feel like that could be true for the foster care system as well and just um, orphan care in general. Um, I know, I mean, honestly, sometimes just children need love and care. And that could, um, doesn't mean that you're necessarily fostering them, but maybe you're coming alongside a family who is. Um, I know when we were adopting Aiden, um, we just had so much love and support and care from um, our church family. And that was just so huge. Um, And uh, honestly, um, caring for kids, I mean, Aiden's birth mom, she um, was in foster care herself. She actually aged out of the system. And um, a lot of times, I think with foster care, you see the kids, um, and yeah, there's a lot of trauma and neglect and awful stuff, um, but behind that is the brokenness of the families. And so um, God's just really placed in our hearts um, a compassion for birth families, and um, I think uh, we can love them through loving those kids as well. Um, yeah, you'd be amazed which a difference you can make just by doing that. So, 
and I'll plug it right here, get into a neighborhood group too because these people, they were our family. I mean, I remember, you know, calling Steve and I, I think I called Ian and even Ryan too and some, some of the other guys, Patrick, um, just bawling after our, our little one had left us. Um, uh, you know, we only had him a short time, but it was just the craziest um, day. So it's it's not it's not all easy and it's, it's hard. Um, but at the same time, you know, God's grace is just all over it. And um, so we're just super thankful. Well, let me pray for you guys. Thank you so much for sharing. Lord, thank you for these families. Thank you for the other families that are here and they've taken that step too to foster, to adopt. And for those that have contributed financially to help, um, Lord, in this last year's this hope offering to help extend mercy and grace to kids that need help. Um, thank you for this church. Lord, would you use this church to help in that crisis in the name of Jesus, we pray. Would you use North Valley, Lord, to be a catalyst for the future of this city, that we can change the direction of a generation by sharing and showing the love of Jesus Christ to orphans and widows? Would you use this church in the name of Christ, we pray. Thank you for these families. Thank you for the generosity of this church. May we be bold to express our faith and clear and demonstrate that, Lord, by helping the socially powerless the weak, the people in need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Can we celebrate these guys? Well, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're in James chapter 1, verse 27, and you can go ahead and stand, and we will um, read the verse. I want you to understand, as we look at the context here this morning of James Within Greek Roman Empire society, the Roman Empire citizens absolutely did look out for orphans if they were a Roman citizen. But if they were not a Roman citizen, basically the children were like trash. And they were literally, you would walk in ancient Rome and you would see kids and they would say, he's not a freeborn child, leave him alone. If you've traveled to India before, you've seen there's an entire caste system that is cast away. They believe the children have evil spirits and they don't touch them. They're uh, defiled children. Uh, in the Roman Empire, they did look out for orphans, but only for those that were in the Roman, uh, free, they were freeborn children. This is, comes in light. James is writing to Christians that are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire and say, you live completely different. You are completely to be countercultural in the midst of a society that plays favorites. And he says, as a Christian, even though you're going through hard times, financially they were. They were facing persecution. Nero's about to enter into power. And James writing a prophetic text to Christians to endure hardships and says, despite your hardship, you need to look out for the socially powerless. A widow was someone who had very few rights. Women in that society didn't have many rights at all. They had very few job opportunities. And James again writes and says, let me tell you what pure and undefiled, pure faith looks like. This morning, we're going to look at what does it mean for us as a church, North Valley, to kind of move to that next level in our faith and live completely countercultural. 
So it says this, James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, work now. Spirit, descend upon us. Use your word to guide and direct, to reform and transform our vision and our values for our Christian faith. If it means being closer with you, that's what we want. We pray this in the name of Christ and everybody said, amen. Five ways to take your faith to the next level. Number one, you need to take God's perspective. James says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. James isn't saying whatever seems best to us, but he's saying whatever's best before God. That's the perspective that you need to have. Whatever God cares about, we ought to care about. Everyone has a perspective, amen? Unbelievers have a perspective. Christians, you ought to live like this. If you're a Christian, you ought to do this. You ought to be kind. You ought to be courteous. Today in... Christianity, anybody can throw the name Christian out, and we think, oh, okay, well, he's a Christian. Well, a name doesn't make you a Christian. An affiliation or just a simple profession of saying, I'm a Christian, doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is the grace of Christ resting upon your life that you confess that you're a sinner and you need Jesus Christ, that he's the Son of God and that he's worthy of worship. Unbelievers have a perspective. Believers have a perspective. Christians, I'm a Christian and I'm telling you today, you need to be involved in the foster care crisis. You need to be involved in the orphan crisis. And you ought to say to me, Ryan, what you have to say isn't primary. What's primary is God's perspective. Other believers will always tell you what they think. And then you, You have a perspective. You have a perspective. Well, from my point of view, I think this is important. Fourthly, God has a personal perspective about what pure and undefiled religion looks like. Amen? So what is that? James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God The father is this, is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Pure, that means clean. Do you want to be clean in your faith? James says, let me tell you what that looks like. It looks like you enter into the most dirty pieces in society and you redeem it in the name of Christ. That you walk into the socially powerless and the outcast and you proclaim Christ And that you show and that you share the love of Christ in the dark places. Pure means clean. Undefiled means uncontaminated. From God's perspective, when we reach out to the people that need hope the most, that's pure. That's undefiled. From God's perspective, the purest form of religion is the one that cares for the orphans and the widows because they are seriously socially powerless. You gain nothing by helping these people, but they gain everything. That's pure. 
That's undefiled. Let me encourage you, church, if you want to take your faith to the next level, oh, don't listen to what I have to say. Listen to what God has to say. Take God's perspective. Don't listen to what the neighbors say that are unbelievers. That's not the perspective you need to take. Don't even listen to your own conscience. Be submissive underneath the authority of Scripture and say, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do what the Word says what to do. Take God's perspective. Secondly, if we're going to take our faith to the next level, we need to remember Dad's sacrifice. James says, whatever's pure and undefiled before God the Father. Let's all say the Father together. There you go. He's Dad. James writes to remind us of that. That dad made an incredible sacrifice. God, the father, gave us his what? His one and only son that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave up his most valued treasure, his own son for us. God adopted us into his family. Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You remember the story in the Gospel of Luke about the prodigal son? The kid asks for his dad's inheritance and gives it to him. The kid runs away, squanders it on loose living, and the dad waits for his son. And one day the son realizes he's squandered everything and so he begins his journey back home. And he's afraid to face the father. And from a long way off, the father walks off the the porch and he sees his son coming. And the Bible says that the father ran towards the son and embraced him. And he forgave him. That's a picture of our father. James this morning tells us that we've got to remember Dad's sacrifice that God gave up everything for you and for me. He literally, did you know that you are adopted? If you've placed your faith in Christ, what, what God has done is that he's adopted you through his son, Jesus Christ. He gave up his son, Jesus, on a cross. He paid the highest price for your salvation, for your inheritance, for your adoption into this family. And it's through Christ that we, the church, are brothers and sisters. And we have a good, good father. And we're his children. How do we take our faith to the next level? We've always got to remember dad's sacrifice. When we entered into the campaign to buy the land, the church was not even three years old. And most churches don't ever go into a campaign to purchase a nine-acre campus until they're about 10 years old. Hey, we don't play by normal odds at North Valley, right? So I decided, well, you know what I told Leslie, because I've done this before. I've raised money for incredible kingdom purposes. And I told her, I said, sweetie, there's no way. I don't think God's going to honor it if we don't go all in. She said, what do you want to do? I said, well, you know my dad. He gave all the boys an inheritance 
and they were all building cabins on the property back home in Arkansas. And I said, we need to cash that in. And she's like, cash it in? I said, yeah. Now that'd be like going to the South and you can envision my family's kind of like the Duck Dynasty family and telling them, you know, give up sweet tea. We're not going to hunt. Uh, I'm leaving the family. I mean, it is a totally countercultural request. I go home. I fly home. I meet with my dad. We sit on the front porch. We're drinking sweet tea. And I told him, Dad, God's called us to Arizona. We're not coming back. And he said, son, you know I have horses and land waiting on you. And I said, Dad, Leslie and I believe that God wants us to give up everything for the sake of that church, and he's going to bless it. And he said, well, that wasn't the deal. The deal was you get the land and you get horses if you come back. Rob and David are down there building their cabins right now, and uh, that's not the deal, son. I thought, what do you want to do? Break up the family property? What do you, what, what do you want to do? And I said, well, just think about it and pray about it. And he said, okay, I will. A few months later, my dad came out and he visited the property. He was walking around the property and he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, son, this isn't a good idea. This, is a, this must happen. Your church needs this. And so a week later, he called me and said, hey, your mom and I have prayed about it. Your brothers are not going to be happy about this, but we're going to give you your inheritance and we're going to give it to the church because we want to see God honored. And I said, hallelujah. And I came here on Sunday morning and I read you the note that my dad read me. And it said, win souls and change lives forever and gave us a big check. Dad made a big sacrifice. He did not want to write that big check. That wasn't the plan. That cost him an enormous amount of financial challenge. Remember dad's sacrifice. If you're going to take your faith to the next level, you've always got to remember what your heavenly father has sacrificed. He gave up everything so that you could have a family, so that you could have a life. Take your faith to the next level. James says, don't forget the Father. Number three, plan on saving one. Some of you have heard the story of the, the boy and the starfish, but there's this story that goes on that this old man, is, he used to do his riding on the beach and he would wake up early in the morning and one morning he's walking down to the beach and he sees this little kid in the distance and there had been a big storm the night before and it washed up tens of thousands of starfish all over the sand. And the starfish couldn't get back into the water. And from a distance, the old man sees the little boy and the little boy's bending down and he's throwing something into the water. And the old man says, what are you doing? You think you're going to save all these starfish? There's tens of thousands of them. The little boy bends down and he looks at the old man and smiles and goes, I saved that one. And he walks away. You know, there's 19,000 children in the foster care system in Arizona, and we can't save all of them. But you and me, 
We could save one. We could save one kid. And if everybody did that, then something incredible could happen. If every church just took on one or two children, we could end this foster care crisis and change an entire generation. Next Saturday, there's going to be 25 inmates that show up on our property. And they're working on our property with a vision that this is the church that's going to help share and show the love of Christ to the kids who need hope the most. I walked the property the other day with 25 inmates dressed in orange, gave them some uh, rakes, gave them some uh, weed eater. And then the scariest step was when I handed a guy a chainsaw. I'm like, okay, we're cool, right? You try doing that, hand an inmate a chainsaw. When you're from Texas, you kind of get nervous. You watch that movie. So, so they said to me, we'll do whatever we can to help you guys. See, I didn't have a dad. I found out that 90% of the people incarcerated have broken families or no family at all. Fatherless generation. Phoenix is facing its worst crisis socially. I met with the governor personally, Governor Brewer, a few years ago. And talked to her, and I said, I came in, I said, I'm a young church planner. We want to address needs in the community. We want to shine the love of Jesus Christ into this city, and we believe that it's important to meet real needs. What are those to you? She said a couple of things. One is there's a hunger crisis with kids in poverty in the school system. We address that. A gal in our church started a nonprofit ministry called Title I Hope, made um, local news and state news, and is raising over $100,000 and going to feed over 100 families at our church, fanned the flame on entrepreneurial faith, and she went after it. She said the second one is education, and the third, and it's the greatest of all, is the foster care crisis. So I said, okay, well, we'll work at that. It's going to take us a couple of decades before we're going to be able to finish that project. But by God's grace, we'll set a big goal. Amen? Save one. James says, visit orphans in their affliction. Literally, the phrase uh, to visit in the Greek is epistatame. It means much more than just stop by or say hi or chat. The idea carries that you're exercising oversight, care, or helping in whatever way that is needed. It's the same root word that is episkopos, which means overseer. The idea is this, is that James is saying, I don't want you just to show up and chat with these little orphan kids in the Roman Empire. I'm asking you to pastor these little kids. I'm asking you to be an overseer of care for these kids. There is no welfare program. There is no Obamacare. Not that that would matter a whole lot. But there is nothing going on that's going to help the socially powerless. And James says, visit. And you, as a Christian, you've read this before. And you've said, oh yeah, okay, I can go visit. Say hi or chat. And James says, that's not what we mean here. In the New Testament, Jesus picked up 
on the incredible importance of the sick and the poor, and he shares about the actions of the righteous and the unrighteous for the socially powerless, the poor, the weak. And he basically said this message, if you are caring for these least of people, the lowest people in society, you're caring for me. If you're not caring for me or caring for the least and the poor, the orphan, the widow, and you're not doing anything for me. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you, we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And then he'll answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Those are heavy words. Jesus says, if you're not actively involved in caring for the socially powerless, you better question your faith. What makes us Christian is not a people of privilege, although we have great privileges, but it's a people of great responsibility. A people that understand there was a high price that made, that was made for our salvation. Israel, as you look in the Old Testament, their election, their chosenness was never so that they could have all the wonderful privileges and perks among all the other people groups in the world but is that they were called unto a service, a responsibility. We, the church, are the light of the world. We, the church, are the people that shine and to share the love of Christ to a hopeless world without Christ. And that is received greatest when we're helping people that can't help us. Does that make sense? Pure and undefiled religion is when we care for those that are socially powerless. In the Old Testament, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and he says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. That's the orphan. Plead the widow's cause. Orphans and widows from an Old Testament perspective is something that God cared about tremendously and called his, the believers to respond and figure out or learn how to do good. 
you guys received a card. We, we challenge you to look through ways in which you can respond locally or globally to help share and show the love of Christ to the people that need hope the most. You're going to have to learn to do good if you're hoping to take your faith to the next level. Plan on saving one. Amen? Number four, you need to walk across the street. What do I mean by that? I mean, if we're going to visit widows in their affliction, it's going to cause you to not just drive into your garage, shut the door, and go in, turn on the TV, and zone out. It's looking for that old little lady that nobody is hanging out with. But you're the one who says, do you need any help with yard work? Do you need any help to put up a TV? Or do you need somebody to help put in some light bulbs? We can help. We live right down the street. I first um, started, I didn't know it, a widow ministry when I lived in Little Rock. There was a sweet little old lady named Frances, and she had a terrible dog that barked all the time. And that little dog would keep me up at night. What was the dog's name? Do you remember, sweetie? That dog yapped, 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 yapped all the time. And uh, Frances was a sweet little old widow lady. Literally, the idea of widow means left alone. It's not limited to the idea of a, it's just a husband who died. It could, could be a number of situations. But she's left alone. She's desolate. And the idea of widow is that no one is able to help these people. And James says they're socially powerless. You need to help them. So Francis, she had this dog, barked all the time. And at first I became the annoyed neighbor. I was young. I was just had kids. I had two at one time. I was like, that was overwhelming. I couldn't get much sleep. I was working about 65 hours so we could make ends meet. We lived in a little house. It was a college house. We transformed it. It was a bachelor pad. We turned it into the first home. It's about a thousand square feet. It was tiny. And I was tired. And Frances would walk her dog, and that dog was like her lifeline. She cleaned her yard. She walked her dog. And I started getting convicted when I read James that this is a little widow. She's got nobody. Her husband had long gone, passed away. Her kids live in another state. She's got nobody. She's got her little dog. And, you know, one time I went over there and I started telling her, look, Francis, you're going to have to fix that dog. I don't sleep. I work 65 hours a week. I'm not sleeping. And I kind of started telling her, like, you're going to get this dog. You know, it's waking me up in the night. And she started to cry. And I'm like, I'm a jerk. Like, I'm annoyed by her little yapping dog. And yes, I you know, started putting in earplugs. And then finally I said, you know, maybe I can help. Maybe we can go. We'll walk, you know, down the street together. Maybe I can help you with yard work or whatever. And I just felt convicted. I'm going to start loving on little Francis. And so I was the guy who was always on my front porch. And I would just take time. I'd look around, see who's around. And then I'd walk across the street. Moved to Phoenix. There was an old lady named Rose. 
first house we lived in right up here. Um, Rose is an old Jewish lady. Her husband passed away. She's from New York. She talks like she's from New York. She's cranky like she's from New York. And uh, we found out Rose was a good board gamer. She likes to play games. So we started inviting her over to the house and my kids would try to cheat, on, cheat with Rose on playing Monopoly. Rose would set them straight and almost get so frustrated she'd walk away. <laughs> Visit widows. Just because you're young and good looking or have money doesn't mean that you're not supposed to care for the people like that. Just because you don't have health problems doesn't mean that you can't slow down and think about the people that do. Or maybe you are sick. Or maybe you're broke. You're not off the hook. James says this is what real religion looks like. That you're slowed down enough to look at the people around you that are socially powerless. What widows and orphans have in common is they've got nobody. I remember I walked down to the... uh, walked into the room at the courtroom and they're starting to decide about Maya's future. And the judge calls out, are any family members here to advocate for Maya's future? Because the judge is about to make some decisions about her life. I remember sitting in that room and I thought, I'd seen some of these family members before. I sat in that seat. There's a part of me that I didn't want him there because I was afraid that she'd go back. But there was a part of me that said, is nobody here for Maya? Does nobody care about this little kid? Nobody was there. It was me and Leslie. And the judge makes these decisions all day long. And what the Old Testament says and the New Testament says, you Christians... You're the ones that have to plead the case for these little kids because nobody's doing it. We're the ones that got to step in and show and share the love of Christ to the orphan, to the widow. Rose came up to me the other day and she said, I've got to make some big decisions financially. I've got these other family members. They don't care about me. All they want is my money and the life insurance and all that. And I just sat her down. I said, Rose, look. I'll help you if you want help. I don't want anything in return. But if you need some financial wisdom and help, I I can bring in the right people. There are people all around you. You say, oh, that's in another country. No, it's on your street. I live in Fireside, one of the most beautiful little communities around here. I love it. I'm thankful. There's widows all over the place. There's kids. There's group homes right over here in Norterra. There's kids that are piled up in group homes and they get driven around. If you've seen a white van, 15 passenger, those are kids that don't have any hope. Statistically, they're the highest trajectory that they've got is Taco Bell, cashier for life. These kids wind up being the victims of pimps. These kids wind up the victims of a drug dealers, and they wind up in prison. But the odds say if we intervene and we just mentor one, it changes everything. Hope. 
The church is the hope of the world. The church is. Christians are the hope of the world forever. There's nothing in it for us when we help these kids or these old ladies, but everything is in it for them. That's why it's pure. That's why it's right. Last point. I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. It says this. It says, keep oneself unstained from the world. The idea is this, is that there's this ongoing command that you keep on keeping on seeking to do what's right. You'll get stained by the world's perspective if you bow down and you follow other people's perspective. But what's pure and what's right is when you live by God's perspective. James says, keep oneself. That is a present active command. It means literally that you need to keep on keeping up with yourself to be unstained. Let me encourage you with your head, your heart, and with your hands that you keep your head thinking about what God wants to say about your life and how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you use your talents and your skills. Let your mind be filled with God's truth, not other people's truth. Watch what you think about. If you're going to keep on keeping on, keep up with what's going on inside your head. Be careful about what you pay way too much attention to. The Bible says, take every thought captive. If you're going to keep yourself from being unstained, you better keep up with what's going on up here. Because what you think often translates into what you will do. Keep oneself unstained from the world. Secondly, you need to keep up with what's going on in your heart. Not every feeling that you have, you ought to act on. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful. It'll trick you. If you're going to keep yourself unstained from the world, then you need to realize that what happens in your heart is incredibly important. The psalmist also says, above all else, guard your heart, or Proverbs says, that you've got to guard it to keep yourself unstained. And when you become stained, you dull your senses and you lose the ultimate purpose of what God's trying to do upon your life. And lastly, be careful to keep up and to keep on keeping on and put your hands to things that help, that serve a real cause, that really do something that really makes an impact. If we want a next level Christianity, we're going to have to do these things. And it's not in our own strength. It's on the strength that comes from God alone. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that as we move forward in this time of response, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts to lean upon you. Lord, thank you for communion. Thank you, Lord, that we remember dad's sacrifice that you gave your one and only son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And this morning, God, Lord, I pray Lord, that we would remember that this morning as we take communion, that you paid the price for our sins and we can love others because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Pastor Ian and I co-wrote a song. Um, it's about Maya and he's gonna play it.
And I just want to encourage you in this time to just think about how maybe the Lord's working upon your heart and then take that little card home um, today and over the course of the week, I want to encourage you to respond just one way, locally or globally, to the crisis around the world so we can be a part of God's global mission locally or globally. We can all do that and share and show the love of Christ together. It's been good being with you. Let's continue to worship. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.